Hello everybody, this is uh, Jim Barton and Abigail Kindly back with the Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. I'm pleased to say that today we do have Bloody Marys again, so that's fantastic. Um, today's uh, conversation, we're going to talk about um, the patriarchs, and I think this is going to be a little bit different uh, topic for, the, for us because we talked about the Bible in general, everybody knows the Bible is something that exists, and then we talked about the creation stories. I think everybody is familiar at least about some idea about what the creation stories are. But the term patriarch might be a new one. So, since we have a professional religious person here, I'm going to let Abby talk about uh, what the patriarchs are and sort of some background on that. Alright, so patriarchs. Um, the three major ones are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was a desert nomad and was called by the voice of God. Um, he was going by the name Abram then, that means something different, different but God ch changed his name to Abraham to be the father of many nations. He and his wife, Sarah, whose name was also divinely changed from Sariah, to Sarah that means princess, got a visit from an angel one day saying, you're going to have a son even though you're in your old age. And when the angel told them this, Sarah laughed. And so it was a long, long time of waiting and waiting, thinking there would be no child. In the meantime, Sarah got annoyed with God and thinking, hey, this will take way too long. And so she gave her handmaid, Hagar, to Abraham to have a child with. That's going to become important in another story. And so they had a child together named Ishmael. Sarah became jealous of Hagar and her son, and so she had Abraham cast them out and send them to a foreign land. After that, Sarah became pregnant with the child that was born was Isaac, and Isaac became the child of the covenant, the child that would re inherit everything from Abraham. That wasn't Abraham's only child. He had another wife named Keturah and had children with them, but um, Isaac remains the child of the covenant. So then Isaac also had children, this time sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob is actually the classic trickster. He was the second born of the sons, but he stole the birthright from his brother and with it, um, the covenant that had been promised to Abraham. So let's go back to that first covenant when God called Abraham out of the desert and changed his name from Abram to Abraham, the promise that God made was land and progeny, or land and children, that there would be a promised land that he and his inheritance or descendants would receive, and that his children and descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky or the sand in the desert. And so this is the promise that begins the covenant with God's people. And the sign of that covenant was circumcision, which isn't really something fun to talk about. But go ahead and throw that in there because that becomes part of the larger tradition. Um, why you take, in Jewish tradition, a child to the temple on the eighth day to be circumcised, why the eighth day matters. So that's going to come into play a little bit too as we talk through this story. And I think what's interesting is all of these um, stories are still in the book of Genesis. And so this is all uh, pretty early. Okay. Um, Anything else for you today? I think we're good. Okay, I'll bring you yeah. a check for your convenience. You know, I might actually have another one. Excellent choice. That's usually, that's the right answer. Usually. Yeah, Let all right. Grab that for you. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I'll, these are all um, contained in the book of uh, Genesis. So they all happen pretty early. Um, 
And last time we talked about the source of the stories. We talked about there being um, the JEPD sources. What do we know about the sources of these stories? So, not a lot is the good answer. There are different JEPD traditions, but the, the best historical criticism says that these are three different patriarchs from three vastly different traditions that were combined later as the people from these different traditions became one people. And so, you actually get repetition of stories quite a bit. That they went to a king's house and pretended that their wife was actually their sister so that um, the king wouldn't be threatened and then the king likes the guy's wife and then there's problems. So that happens to Abraham twice and Isaac once, right? Yes. So that that exact sort of kind of pimping out your wife. Right. Seems like bad behavior of a founder of a church. Right. That happens three times. Yeah. Yeah. So you get these multiple stories because there were multiple traditions um, being brought together to talk about the the patriarchs and who who is our God. Um, And then that's where you get the phrase that's repeated often in Scripture, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. To remind you that really, no, all of the the God of this person is not a household God. This is the one God of all of these people. It's also a, a it's also right at the point of divergence between the uh, Judeo Christian and Islamic traditions, right? In the right. sense that um, um, Abraham is both the Abrahamic faiths are the three, and then um, Ishmael uh, by I think uh, Islam accepts this as well. The Ish- Ishmael is the is the person from whom um, the is um, is it the Arabs or is it the Muslims? The Muslims. The Muslims uh, descended, right? Yes. So that's so that's interesting. That's an interesting thing too. Right, and the break in understanding that is that Muslims believe that Ishmael was the child of the covenant, not Isaac, and because he was the firstborn, he's the one who inherits the covenant. Um, and so they point to things that are in our scriptures, like. Um, Hagar returning to Ishmael, um, and, excuse me, Hagar and Ishmael returning to Abraham once a year, so that there was an ongoing relationship. It wasn't just he had the son who disappeared, that there was a relationship with him as the child of the covenant. Um, and because of that, there's there's obviously interplay among the traditions, but that's why Islam talks about Jews and Christians as peoples in the book, because we share the same tradition. Um, which is pretty interesting. Over half of the world's population shares the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and calls themselves children of Abraham in some way. Yeah, yeah. Another thing about these studying the patriarchs, I think that's interesting is whatever the source of the story, these are the stories that have survived as the history, mm-hmm. as the sort of foundational. I, these stories, to me, start to make that transition within the scripture from where... You know, the flood is the flood story is like once upon a time there was a flood. You know, the story of Babel is once upon a time there was a big tower, and, and they, it reads like purely, right, purely folklore and fable. Yeah. This is when you start you start to have a little bit more texture, and it starts to feel more like a history. Right. So Genesis one through eleven are those ideological stories that explain something about the origin of the world, and then eleven makes after eleven makes a very real shift to oral tradition that was recorded at some point. These are campfire stories. These are stories about who we are as a people, even if they're not rooted in history, even if they're not rooted in anything that happened. This is our understanding of who we are. And that understanding 
seems to me to contain an awful lot of warts for this tradition. I mean, we mentioned about this weird, these weird stories about, you know, Abraham and Isaac both sort of like being kind of wimps and scared and so they let the ruler, you know, I don't know if they sleep together or not. I think actually they, they do or they don't. I'm not sure. It's not super clear in the story, but it basically, you know, allow, set up a situation where the ruler of the region can have designs on their wife. And then, of course, God gets mad at the ruler, which always seems a little unfair to me in this story. Right. But that's an ugly story. I don't know who comes out of that. I, you don't admire Abraham at the end of that story. Um, you know, and, and then you have this stuff about the way Hagar is treated. It's not, uh, that doesn't cast a, a great light on, on things. Um, and then the one story that I do want us to talk about, which is interesting because I in, in Islam, it's Ishmael. And then in uh, Ju- Judaism, it is Isaac, who... Abraham um, is told to sacrifice to God. So we have this story, which um, others have treated at length. Kierkegaard wrote a, a very important work on this, examining this. But essentially, the story, the, the fable is that, or the story is that, God tells Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your <clears throat> beloved son, your only son, your beloved son, up to the top of this mountain and sacrifice him to me. So Abraham takes. Uh, Isaac and they go on their way and he doesn't tell Isaac what's going on and Isaac is they take the they take the donkey for a long time and then they get off and then they take he has him just walk with it's just Abraham and Isaac the servant stays behind they get the stuff they prepare the pyre for the uh, the, the fire rather for the for the sacrifice and then Abraham actually um, binds Isaac puts him on the, the kindling or whatever is my vision of it. I don't know how much of this is still uh, scriptural. And it's about to sacrifice him when God stops Abraham and gives um, and shows Abraham an animal, uh, like a deer or whatever, to sacrifice instead. So, first off, how did I do in this story? Is that pretty close? So, there there are two key details that actually matter a lot um, in further readings. One is that when they go up to the mountain to sacrifice Isaac, um, Isaac does ask his dad, where's the ram for the sacrifice? sacrifice yeah. And um, he provi- um, Abraham responds, the Lord will provide. In Christian readings, it becomes important that um, Isaac actually carries the wood for the burnt offering. Yeah, that's true. And it is Abraham who carries the knife with him. And then it's a ram in the brambles. A ram, not a deer. Not a deer. A ram. And um, that's of less importance, I think, except for deer aren't mentioned all that often in the Bible outside of Song of Solomon. Okay. So. All right. Very good. Yeah. Um, and those details are interesting. Uh, uh, him asking and not be in that sort of vague God will provide, I think, is definitely a part of the story. Um, and then some of that sort of uh, I don't know how I don't know how I feel about then taking that story and projecting and the crucifixion onto it, right? Which is kind of what you know the sacrifice of his son. He carries the wood. Right. The father carries the night. Some of that, I don't know how what I think about that. But but, um, just the story by itself is such a compelling and confusing and tricky story because Abraham doesn't question God in it. Right. Um, and that actually, that actually is where it becomes helpful to tell more stories. Something that we don't do as well in the Christian tradition is keeping alive the conversation around the story that the Jewish tradition does. Um, And so one of the things that Jewish interpreters have pointed out is that Abraham has argued with God in the past. Right. 
and demanded that God be moral. So they've already had that fight about Sodom and Gomorrah. They had the fight of Abraham saying to God, wait, you can't kill this, kill as many people. What if there are 50 righteous? And then what are 40? And what if there are 30, 20, 10? Well, God still destroys Sodom and Gomorrah because there aren't, there aren't 10. Right. Um, but he bargains with God to get, to get him down. He's ready whenever you right. are. Absolutely not. Thank you. Um, that's actually, sorry, that's not Abraham. That's, that's a story of Lot. Yeah. But there, there is this idea, that's the idea that you can argue with God. So why doesn't Abraham? Why doesn't Abraham say to God, hey, do this better? Um, and the argument is, Abraham knows of this argument. And Abraham knows that God has been called to be moral by humanity. So trust that God will do that again. Um, the purely historical critical perspective is that... This is this is when it becomes unacceptable to sacrifice your children. Yeah. We forget that child sacrifice is part of our religious heritage. It pre-exists Judaism as we know it. So this is a changing to a compassionate God. A God who actually knows you love your son. And so you have this story multiple times. Take the son, the son whom you love, who beloved, right. and sacrifice him. And then God says no, breaking that tradition of child sacrifice, actually. Um, and I don't know this story I think for me is one of those that because it has so much interpretation that it actually becomes really beautiful in that way because there's a story that haunts religious imagination that we can't resolve in a good way Right. and early church fathers did they would say yeah this is pointing to the crucifixion that God will require God's son to carry a cross up the hill like this is what happens but I remember a song um, that was sung at the Jewish, one of the synagogues in Atlanta, um, where I would attend services occasionally. And so this was a synagogue that itself had an interesting history. They were founded um, in the 80s when gay men were dying and were not being granted funerals. And so that was what they started doing, is gay Jewish men having funerals at the synagogue. Well, now it's a thriving synagogue um, with an amazing music program, because when you, know, you have a lot of gay men around, I guess you get an amazing music program. And so they sang the song that was the Akedah, which is the binding of Isaac. And there's a child singing Abraham, or a child singing his Isaac, and then Abraham singing, and then God singing. And... Um, the voice of God cries out, on the eighth day, I created a ram in the brambles. So I knew you. I knew I was going to know this. Um, I knew I was going to do this. And on the eighth day, this was waiting for you. So there's a lot of interpretation to go that. But if nothing else, it speaks to the ongoing relationship of God with humanity, especially hearkening back to that creation story. When we tend to read it as the seventh day, God rested, God was done with creation. Yeah. Well, if God caused, created the ram and the brambles on the eighth day, God wasn't done, and God isn't done. And so you get this ongoing story. Um, in that same song, Abraham cries out, do I defy or obey you? Not knowing which is the right answer. Does he do what Lot does and defy him? Right. Defy God? Or does he obey and trust in resurrection? And this is, I think, I think this is 
scripture at its best where it really does sort of crack open questions and it does ask you to explore your world and um, and it's frankly it's kind of cool that you can't put a neat bow on it. Mm -hmm. um, my son, who is my firstborn son, not a big fan of the story. <laughs> of course he's not. Even very young, sort of had his emotional, like, I don't, I don't want to hear this story, I'm interested in that story. And I think that's another thing of where what makes this kind of cool, this story interesting, is it does access that emotion. It does touch on these intimate, personal characteristics um, and sort of leave things open. Yeah. All right, well, I think, um, I think that'll do us for, um, for this topic. Uh, again, sort of creates more questions than answers, uh, just like uh, the story does. All right, so with that, um, uh, we're going to sign off. We hope that uh, you uh, join us in our future podcast. Um, so until next time, cheers.